Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos. We have a variety of segments that we're going to bring to you today. And everything ranging from a woman who plays violin during her own brain surgery. And we're going to talk a little bit about Mr. Rogers and Bob Ross, who gave us examples of aspirational Christian content that had a huge impact on the world. We're going to be talking about the prophet Haggai and the importance of making wise investments. So we're going to discuss all of this and more. And thank you for joining us. This again is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor Jay Dillon Proctor, and there are two others with me here in the studio. Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. So before we go much further, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Pastor Amanda, would you pray for us this morning? Sure, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings. And even in the midst of uh, a time of uncertainty, you are still God and you still provide hope and purpose for us. So be with us today and everything we say and be with those who are listening. Uh, may we draw closer to you. We ask these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I caught my saying, myself saying this morning at the beginning of that, and this is afternoon. We're doing this live. So that's a great way to start off a program that's live, especially when we're going to get into some stuff that is a little bit more comedic at first, and then we'll get more serious as the program unfolds. So we're bringing back our segment, Unholiness Today. Many of you who are good Nazarenes are familiar with the magazine, Holiness Today, but we're here to bring you Unholiness Today, where we look at the weird stuff going on in the world and try to find some sanctified alternatives to all of that. <laughs> so first up in Unholiness Today, we have a great article that happened here in Nashville, Tennessee, where a, we'll pull up the picture for you, a Nashville criminal left a notebook with a detailed list of the places he planned to rob. And in doing so, he gave us a real-world example of what is taught in Proverbs 1, verse 17, where the foolishness of sinful tricksters is described as spreading a net where every bird can see it. So what we get right here in this story, and this really is a phenomenal story, is authorities in Tennessee say they busted a well-organized burglar or supposedly well-organized, though he did forget <laughs> his stuff behind him, after he allegedly dropped a notebook picture it here for you, a notebook during a break-in that contained a list of other places that he planned to target. The man's name was Robert Schull Goddard, and he's 49, and he smashed in a glass door breaking into a Nashville area home on January 29th of the year 2020. Now, he stole a TV and a gun from the residence, but he also left something behind, and that was this lovely notebook we've got here. <laughs> now, I will say this is our interpretation of the notebook. We... We're not able to obtain the real notebook, but he did leave his notebook behind. And that allowed the authorities to not only solve that robbery, but also find out where he would be going next because he had a list of all the places he planned to go. So as the Tennessean reported, investigators, they were able to identify the suspect and even catch on footage him breaking into another house the next day. So right here for you, we've got the notebook. It has step one, rob this house. Step two, rob that house. And step three, don't go to jail. It's so unfortunate. <laughs> so, close. so close. He lost his notebook there at step two. Um, very unfortunate indeed. For those of you who have seen the meme that has the schoolboy's drawing that helped police track down a man trying to get into a school, this is the criminal version of that. Um, <laughs> that meme is great. And this really is the, the criminal side of that. Um, so very unfortunate indeed. Pastor Amanda... This guy is literally spreading a net where the birds can see it. That's what we found there in Proverbs 117. Except in this case, the birds are the police and the net is a notebook. 
Now, I can appreciate this guy's organization, but I can also imagine the terror when he realized his notebook was missing. Can you give us some sanctified direction on this? Is this your average depravity or is this advanced depravity? Pastor Amanda, give us some guidance here. Yeah, I think um, it, it is kind of funny. You do appreciate probably his, I guess, the criminal mastermind behind this. But you would think once he realized he lost his notebook, he would change the plan or maybe lay low for a little while. Um, or maybe he assumed he lost it somewhere back in his house or his car or something like that. Um, but yeah, th this definitely seems to just be, um, insane. And, um, you know, we've, we've talked about before, just, uh, even when wickedness seems to succeed or be smart, uh, eventually the life you live does come back upon you. Um, and kind of you, you do reap what you sow and his, for all his genius, uh, it came back to bite him. <laughs> it did. Pastor Mike, do we have any other thoughts on this? I know I looked at Proverbs 1, 17, but give us your thoughts on this and maybe read a little bit more scripture out of Proverbs 1. Well, I will. I'll read the scripture first, and then I'll give you uh, my take on, on this. But it's Proverbs 1, uh, verse 10 says, My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, Come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Um, let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who do who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder and cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. For their feet rush into evil, they are swift to shed blood, and how useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. And so uh, I'd just like to say, never confuse depravity with unintelligence. And just as though this, this guy may have, may have been unintelligent, he may have been intelligent, but he was planning. And, uh, but there are some people who choose to do evil who are highly intelligent. And so uh, let us be on guard and never be enticed with peer pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, let's go on to our next story today. Now, this is unholiness today. This actually may be a really uplifting story. I don't know. It depends kind of on your take of it. It could be the theme and plot of a horror movie or at mm. least a strange <laughs> skit. So the next story we've got is a woman playing a violin while undergoing brain surgery to have a tumor removed. And she actually played the violin while they were operating on her brain. So I want everybody to think about this. If you've ever been to the dentist and have them numb just a little bit about of your mouth and how hard it is to talk and operate on that, this lady, they cut open her skull and are doing surgery on her brain while she's playing the violin. So I can only imagine how this sounded because, again, the violin is an instrument where it's either really good or really bad. There's not a lot of middle ground with violin playing. So... In this situation, this this lady, she... Amanda, do you have any thoughts on this before we get further into the overview? Well, I just... Um, yeah, no, um, my brother uh, tried to play violin for a while growing up, and you're right. There, there's very little middle ground on how it can sound. It's one of those worst instruments for beginners. Um, but yeah, so she... I think she just kind of played the scales or something simple, but it, it's, it didn't sound great. So you've heard it because there is yeah, a video Yeah, there is a video where you okay. can watch it. It, it. Yeah, it was not a, a like, you know, a concerto or something complex or pretty. It, it was quite, quite bad, but it was like 
the doctors could see then what parts of her brain were activated through it. Yeah, so let's learn a little bit more about this. The lady's name is Dagmar Turner, which is kind of like playing the... That's either an absolutely amazing name... Or you get picked on on the playground. Or you, or you get picked on <laughs> on the playground for that name. Um, so Dagmar Turner, she is a 53-year-old management consultant and passionate violinist from the Isle of Wight. Wit? I don't know. I think they're in the UK, so who knows how that's pronounced. But she had a tumor removed at King's College Hospital. Now, she was worried that she might lose fine motor function in her hand, and she asked if she could play the violin during the brain surgeries to make sure that she didn't lose her skill. Now, a consulting neurosurgeon at the hospital came up with the, the plan to reduce the risk, and surgeons, they mapped out her brain, they opened up the skull, and they got her to play the violin as the tumor was being removed. And there's footage of this, and the neurosurgeon is quoted as saying, this is the first time I've ever had a patient play an instrument. So, <laughs> fascinating stuff here. This reminds me of the scripture in Matthew chapter 13, verse 12, where it says, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken away. Now, I'm reminded of this scripture simply because part of me is thinking this is her master plan to boost her brain power. So this is like a Hammer horror film where Dr. Frankenstein, as Peter Cushing, is, is playing on making a new monster. Um, because it's like a real world. You've got an instant feedback. If the violin playing gets better, then things are going great. If the violin playing gets worse, then things are going very, very sour. So that's kind of my take on all of this. I don't know. Uh, Pastor Amanda, what are your thoughts on this? Can yeah. you give us any sanctified guidance on this situation? Well, I do think for some, it is like playing literally real world operation, but instead of like the little nose buzzing or going red, if y'all remember that game, uh, I guess it's still a game now that kids play. But anyways, um, but like, yeah, they can do it by how how well the, the violin sounds or if there's a screech or something. But um, I think overall, it's a really cool story. Um, you wouldn't think about this. Um, like, if I ever had was told I had a brain tumor and had to go get surgery, I don't know if I would ever consider things like fine motor skill. I'd be like, get the tumor out. Like, But she had such focus and frame of mind in the first place to want to aspire to not just survive the surgery, but to like thrive and to live through it in order to still be the best person she could be. So it, it's quite fantastic and encouraging to hear this and just phenomenal and I, yeah I could not imagine having that kind of presence of mind in such a difficult time to consider that and to even ask for it so I think yeah. it definitely pr uh, pushes us to a place of holiness yeah Pastor Mike do you have any final thoughts on this we're about to be up against a segment break any quick thoughts before we move on you know I think it depends a lot on the context of this but you know I think uh, the the gift and grace of being able to play uh, an instrument such as the violin, if her desire is is to be able to to be a means of grace, and so you know you have uh, the beauty of the violin being played by someone, but also those who are receiving uh, that. So I, I think really and truly this is a holy moment because it's a means of grace where she is taking the gifts that she has that God has given her and she has honed and she wants to keep those to be a blessing to others around her. So uh, that's my thought. Yeah. And if I can hit the right key, totally agree with that. Well, anyways, we'll be back here in a moment to talk about Fred Rogers and Bob Ross and have a little bit more of a serious conversation. Alrighty, and we are coming back. 
And in our conversations today, looking at the world around us, Christians, we've, we've kind of had a difficult time walking the cultural walk, trying to figure out how we make an influence on the world. How do we make art that is compelling and also have a clear Christian message? So for our next segment, we're going to be talking about Mr. Rogers and Bob Ross and how Christian content enters into mainstream culture. Now, Mr. Rogers... Uh, neighborhood. It's a show that a lot of us are familiar with. It was on for quite a long time, and even the reruns went on quite a long time afterwards. And The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross, which wasn't on for as long of a period of time, but nonetheless has had a huge impact. I mean, you can find Mr. Ro- or Bob Ross games and t-shirts for both of these men. You can find a lot of stuff about them. Had a huge impact on our culture. But these are both very serious shows which had great aspirations. And I would characterize these two TV shows as being aspirational, with disciplined restraint. They wanted to take people to a place of excellence, but realized that it takes time to build up a solid biblical foundation. Rather than being outright evangelist, both Bob Ross and Fred Rogers, and we'll pull a little image of them back up, both of these guys understood that the world is a difficult place, that we are created in the image of God, and that it takes a lot of work to plant seeds and get people coming closer and closer to God. So these men, they built television shows that started with a biblical worldview and wanted people to be met where they're at and then taken and elevated to a place of excellence. Now, both of these men, they they really did something which is phenomenal. And even people who are not Christians tend to hold both Fred Rogers and Mr. Rogers in or Fred Rogers and Bob Ross in very high regard. When you look at both of the the shows that they produced, they were able to take people to a very serious place of serious conversation, serious art. Again, they're not just taping a banana to the wall and telling people that's art, if you remember that big thing which happened recently. Um, This is people taken to a serious place by men who were very interested in the biblical worldview. One of my criticisms of modern Christian culture is that we tend to have a subdued or lack thereof when it comes to imagination. We always want to have an impact on culture, but we tend to struggle when it comes to how we do that. We kind of think that a cultural outreach might look like a worship concert, and the subject matter that we tend to talk about tends to lack the aspiration that you find with something like Bob Ross, where they want to make you an artist to really reach those high echelons. Um, It's almost as if we have lost our imagination and faith that Christ really wants all people to be perfected. So as we talk about these two, I want us to really imagine how we can be more like Fred Rogers and Bob Ross, two men who were both men of excellence, who achieved great things, but they didn't just stop there. They wanted to build others up. They wanted to build people up with great aspirations. So Fred Rogers, a lot of us are familiar with him. Um, Fred Rogers, he was ordained a Presbyterian minister in the Presbyterian Church in 1963. So a lot of people may not know this. He actually was an ordained minister. And in his children's show, he discussed a wide variety of very serious topics. And almost everybody in our culture holds Mr. Rogers in very high regard. And this is true regardless of whether or not they're Christian. His show, while there are some similarities with it and other children's show, it really does. It's nonetheless set apart. It is very distinct in the way he handles things. Fred Rogers, he showed the compassionate side of the gospel and really dived deep into serious subject matters such as death, serious illness, even things like violence and abuse in the home, things like depression, things that children actually deal with and things that are inherent in life is the sufferings that just exist on this side of Eden. Mr. Rogers, he didn't whitewash the world. He didn't give some fantasy, unrealistic view of the world where everything's wonderful pie in the sky, but he gave people 
the tools to persevere. He wanted children to grow up into strong adults. And he wasn't reluctant to teach the hard truths or discuss difficult topics. But at the same time, he showed great restraint in doing that. He wasn't obscene. He wasn't grotesque. And even when discussing things that are obscene and grotesque, he did it very maturely. Um, but at the same time, he did not water down a thing. He was very, very fervent in telling the truth about how the world actually was. So that's a little bit about Fred Rogers. And let's flip over to talk more about Bob Ross. So Bob Ross from The Joy of Painting. He's a man who illustrated the beauty of God's creation. His shows were built around the concept that God had created beauty and that all people are capable of enjoying God's beauty. Furthermore, all people are capable of participating in the creative process. So Bob Ross, he was a man of excellence. Again, he wasn't just taping a banana to the wall and calling it art. He wasn't leaving his sunglasses in a museum and hoping someone would come along and think that it was art and people would stand there. Nothing like that. None, none of that junk. Bob Ross was actually doing real art. And people to this day are still just mesmerized by a lot of the things that he did. And again, it wasn't because people just wanted to see a man with an afro, though that's kind of interesting. But they're there because of what the man with the afro was doing and how he was able to communicate and how he was able to build people up and build up their lives. So Bob Ross, he had aspirations. And it was clear from his show that he wanted every single one of his viewers to have aspirations as well. He showed restraint in his demeanor. And rather than being an overt evangelist, and this is the same thing with Fred Rogers, rather than being overt evangelists, they were planting happy little seeds in people's minds that would plant the truth about their creator. Um, something a lot of people don't know about Bob Ross is that he died at the age of 52 with complications from lymphoma. So he died pretty young. Um, but nonetheless, he was very, very great guy. Um, just a little bit of other history on Bob Ross. He didn't make any money making his show, The Joy of Painting. Um, early in his life, he sold some paintings, but I think by the time he was doing the show, he wasn't selling any of his paintings. He might donate them to charities to sell to make money or something like that. And I think to this day, his family still will not sell the paintings to, to make money and things like that. So real fascinating stuff about Bob Ross. So let's get to some, and y'all forgive me, I'm not so great at running the computer over here and doing any sort of commentary. Dad, how important is it for the church to produce aspirational content that seeks to take people to a place of excellence. Again, with both of these shows, you find that the viewers are meant to be elevated. They're meant to have the tools to walk through life. They're not just here to be depressed, to have a, a debrief session. It's meant to elevate them up so you can walk through the next day, so you can get out your own paintbrush. You can, you can enjoy God's little creatures as well. Dad, what are your thoughts on that? Well, obviously we're a people that is created that we're created in the image of God and so we are the body of Christ and so we are called to inspire the world of a great creator that loves us and invest not only in all of creation but God invests into people and so these this aspiration that is what the church does it is uh, it aspires people and and god's with us i mean uh, god god's dwelling place is in the 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 bodies of people um and the holy spirit lives within us and we should be a people not only of inspiration but but aspiring uh, others investing in others just as god has invested in us yeah um absolutely agree with that pastor amanda when we look at this world around us, when we look at the material that's out there, we see things like the big Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, which kind of 
they're more oriented towards a little bit towards the visual. The, of course, the plots do have to, to lock together. But then when we look at a lot of Christian movies, sometimes they're kind of meant for people who are already Christians. And they, they kind of over-sanitize things a little bit. And, you know, we're really reluctant to, to put, like, anything graphic in there when talking about evil or showing how people actually go through violence and things like that. But let me ask you this question. Are movies and TV shows more effective when they show restraint in planting their seeds? And by that, I mean, rather than just being super sanitized and saying, let's just only get the message in there, do we need to kind of take the Bob Ross, Fred Rogers approach where instead of over-sanitizing it, you're still being mature and clean about it, but you're telling the truth about it, and sometimes the truth is ugly. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think this is kind of... Um you know, growing up a little bit and even watching movies from like the late 80s and 70s of, of Christian movies and everyone would complain they just had such poor production value. And then as we've gotten into like the 2000, 2010s, there have been companies that have produced high quality Christian films and yet there seems to be something that still lies flat about them. And it's, it has nothing to do with how much money they spent or if they had the best camera or equipment or even the best actors or whatever. Um, but I do think there's something where we feel like if we've checked all the boxes for it to be quote unquote a Christian film, whether or TV series, then somehow we've evangelized that um, we've said the Roman road, we've done the ABCs of salvation or whatever we want to call it. We've kind of done the, the cognitive battle of sharing Christendom, uh, but we've missed out on the ability to show the truth of our world and the truth of our God. And so, yeah, I think um, there's a time to be explicit. I mean, our program is very explicit in what we talk about. Like, we're not trying to have grand analogies or anything covering it up. We're pretty straightforward. There's a time for that, but we call it what it is. And this is a podcast. And then there are times, especially I think film and uh, whether television or movies is this great medium to create a world, a universe that can explain uh, the love of our God and never have to even say the word God. I mean, we can look at the works of J.R.R. Tolkien and he created this fantastic universe that has, stead, that has stood the test of time as a way of revealing grace and a world that is faced with such deep darkness and yet can rise victorious. And he never mentions God by name. And yet we know that there was a great Christian, a uh, predominantly uh, or specifically a Catholic influence in his life that produced these great uh, works of literature, which have later been produced into films and now soon to be TV series. And we see that in, in the examples that Pastor Dylan has shared. And it was because they were intentional. That's the focus, intentionality. It doesn't have to be explicit. And I mean explicit as in saying specific words or checking off boxes. It doesn't have to necessarily do that, though you can do that. But it has to be purposeful and intentional. And, and a life consumed by God will produce these fruits. We don't have to work so hard to try to prove we have the right the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, right. We just have to allow the fruit of the Spirit to work through us to produce those fruits. Sorry. Well, the, I just wanted to throw something in there. With both Bob Ross and Fred Rogers, they start with the foundation of the biblical worldview. And everything bleeds through that. And that's what Tolkien mm -hmm. was trying to do. Yeah. So in the Lord of the Rings series... And a lot of people may not realize that there's a huge Christian influence in his life. One of the motivations he had, and when people ask him, why didn't you write theological works, um, especially with his friend C.S. Lewis, you know, C.S. Lewis, he writes the, 
the more children-oriented novels, the young adult novels, the adult novels. He writes all those, but then he has his theological works as well. And for an unpopular opinion, I actually think C.S. Lewis was better at writing theology through novels than the, the explicit <laughs> theology. Um, but that's for another day. But Tolkien, he said, I wanted to give people an image of what a relationship with God would look like if religion and spirituality had not been institutionalized, but it remained in the soul of the individual. So with The Lord of the Rings, he was saying something like with The Hobbit, with even the different species you have, there's some sort of connection with the spiritual element and fate that runs through their veins rather than they would go to a church to interact with that. Rather than it being an external thing where you would go somewhere to encounter it, it just naturally flowed through you like blood. And there was fates, there was things in the world which would drive you. The morality was built into everything you did. And that was really the angle he wanted to go. Um, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on well, that you want to do. No, but I just, I mean, that's why I think, you know, you mentioned that Bob Ross and Mr. Rogers. Also, I think it's funny you call him Fred Rogers. And I think you get a little tongue tied because we just kind of assume Mr. Rogers, Mr. is his first name. But anyway, <laughs> um, or even though we know that's not the case, it does seem like that. But with these characters, I mean, people love them regardless of their, I mean, I, I know some people, some young people, well, I guess they're around my age. I don't know if we're considered young anymore, but um, that love Mr. Rogers and Bob Ross. And there's this fascination in our culture with them. I mean, that's why yeah. we see films being made about them, document, yeah. uh, documentaries being made about them. And even if they are so anti-Christian because they've been hurt by the institution, by the church, and they're trying to find love and support and, and a structure in their life. They're clinging to these these figures, specifically Bob Ross and, and um, uh, Mr. Rogers and even Steve Irwin, because we want goodness in our life. And, and, and we want hope and direction and aspiration. And, and sometimes the things with all the coverings um, of those things have have let us down and but we find them regardless of what they look like in these people who chose to do good yeah to the world and so yeah. i think yeah i think it's funny you use the term whitewash which has come to mean slightly different things in our modern context but i mean jesus called the pharisees uh whitewashed tombs with dead men bones in it and i think yeah. as a church we have to be really careful that when we produce whatever we produce, whether it's a billion dollar film or a $2 uh, skit on Sunday morning, um, when we produce things, we better have substance and something inside of us more than just a whitewashed tomb with dead man bones. Yeah, you've really got to have that biblical worldview because that will bleed through more than what you write in a script. Mm -hmm. The way that you actually view the world is going to go so far. Well, Pastor Mike, um, as we come to a close in this, because we're we're past our time for a segment <laughs> break. That's well, it's fine. It's been a great conversation. Um, I want to have one thought, and then I'll give Pastor Mike a, a chance to throw in something out there. I really do think people actually like preaching. I mean, I think that's why our political debates look like they do. It's why news is done in the format it's at. I think re people really like preaching, and I think the church has been a soul to lie when t they were kind of told, and I know I as a youth being told people really don't like preaching, got to do something different. I think the truth of it is, is people like their preaching to be preaching and their art to be art. Preaching pretending to be art is generally bad art, and art that is pretending to be preaching is generally very bad preaching. So the two can overlap, but we need to understand what we're doing. We, we know that we're adults. We have different graces, different functions, and we do different things in the church. When we're doing artistic things, let it be beautiful art. You don't have to have a doctoral dissertation in there. When you're doing a sermon, 
it needs to be a doctoral dissertation in there. Well, maybe not <laughs> that extreme, but you get what I'm saying. Um, so anyways, Pastor Mike, any final thoughts on this before we get on to our third yeah, segment? You know, I'd just like to say that even in um, our own biblical canon, we have the book of Esther, which really doesn't use the word God um, at all. Uh, but it it starts with that biblical worldview. And, you know, I, I think there's something else uh, that's very much implicit, not only about Esther, but especially when you look at uh, Fred Rogers and Bob Ross, is that when you see them, there seems to be a peace about them that they have. And even if you were to see them out, you know, of course, I know they're not living now but if you were in the movie you see you know there's people that see fred rogers out and they just automatically feel like engaging yeah um, and so it's not because he's a celebrity it's because that peace that i believe yeah. that comes from that biblical worldview and and that relationship with christ jesus yeah, absolutely well we're going to take a break we will be back here in a moment All right. Thank you for joining us. Again, this is Kingdom of the Logos. And if you enjoy watching the Nazarene clergy do a bad job of pushing buttons over here, <laughs> but having some hopefully good conversation, um, we do thank you for spending time with us. And we hope that this content is a blessing to you. And if you would like to support our content, one of the best things you can do is actually just grab a link to it. Hit the share button on Facebook. Sharing it with your friends will do a tremendous help for us to grow our content. And also writing us a note. We appreciate those as well. You can find us on Facebook, on SoundCloud, iTunes, CastBox, a lot of different places. We've kind of struggled growing the YouTube channel. But again, please grab a leak. Check us out on YouTube. Watch us on YouTube. It'll help us out a lot. If you'd like to donate financially, you can help us out monetarily by going to patreon.com. So that's Kingdom of the Logos. And we would appreciate that. So let's get into our last segment for today, and we're going to have a Bible study to wrap everything up. And this is from the book of Haggai, chapter 1. Haggai is one of these neat books that is kind of weird. It's easy to get wrapped up in all the prophets and things like that. I know I sometimes I read through, I love to read stuff like Haggai and Zechariah and Daniel, and those who know me, I've preached through these books a lot. And it's like every time I read them, I uncover a, something new. It's just they're kind of weird. They take place after the great apocalypse of the doomsday of the Babylonian exile. It's an interesting period of time that the people of God are being challenged to be the people of God. So for our Bible study today, we're going to be talking about how we invest our time and our energy. And when I say time and energy, I'm going to go out on a limb here and sound a little bit mystic and say how we invest our life force. And before everybody checks out and say life force, what are they over there like soothsayers? I'm just <laughs> talking about where we invest where we invest the resources of our life, so our time, our relationships, even the things that occupy our mind, just how do we invest in our life? So Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, read the following. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are never warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So that is the text for today. Give careful thought to your ways because you're going out, you're making money, you're investing, and you're dumping it all straight in a purse with holes in it. So in life, we make advancements. 
we do this. We make investments, whether we're chicken, picking out, if I can speak, starting to mix up words, whether we're picking out what shows to watch on Netflix or we're figuring out how much energy, how much time are we going to give to some social or family drama which has cropped up, we're always in a position to make choices and choose how much we are going to invest. Haggai is specifically prophesying to a people who chose to invest in the moment, and not just in the moment for the future, but they wanted personal luxury and comfort in the moment, and that came at the cost of neglecting the work that God had called them to do. So Pastor Amanda, it's obvious with finances that we should be wise with our investments, but can you share some biblical wisdom on how we should choose something worthy of investing when it comes to our time and energy, that life force I mentioned earlier? How should we do that? Can you help us out? I think an easy rubric is to kind of ask ourselves um, in a very ancient way of understanding really morality and ethics was, is this blessing or curses? Does this give life or does it take life? Now, I think there are some things that are kind of like in the theological category of silly, that they're kind of neither blessing nor curses. They just are. Um, and we've got to deal with that as well. But I think overall for, for 99% of life, we can kind of say, okay, is this good or is this bad? Uh, is this helpful? So even something as small as like the hobbies we choose or the things we occupy are, are that occupy our downtime is, is this actually helping fulfill the goal of relaxing, of rejuvenating, of uh, reestablishing, you know, some, some boundaries with our lives and, and, and evaluating what we should do and, or is this actually hurting? And I know like for pastors particularly, they advise us not to take Monday off because all you do because you're so worn out from Sunday is you just kind of are a zombie. And so you're actually not resting properly. You're not getting anything done that actually can help you or your families reconnect after a busy day. And so even though it may seem, although the concept obviously of Sabbath, of rest is a good thing we've been given, how we participate in that, um, how we choose to invest in Sabbath it can greatly influence whether it's helpful or hurtful. And again, we can apply this to a lot of different things of our lives, um, to the jobs we take, um, to how we deal with family drama. Uh, there are times when it is better a blessing to step back and not emotionally invest in those kinds of things. And there are times where it's a blessing to actually get involved. And that's very complicated. And so this may seem like an overly simplified parameter to give, but I think it gives us a good starting place where we know what is the goal. Well, the goal is to be helpful. And so if something's obviously hurtful, then we know right off the bat, don't do it. And if we're thinking, ah, I'm not quite sure, then we know how to investigate and look and ask for advice and get resources to help us make better decisions um, versus just kind of doing things. And so and we do see that the, the people um, that Haggai is talking to, Obviously, eating and drinking and planting are good things to do, but they're trying to fulfill a void that cannot be fulfilled by those things. So they have a goal, but they don't. But they're doing things that are antithetical to the goal that needs to happen in order to live a fulfilled, blessed life. Well, really good wisdom there. I like that. That's a very workable metric. Is it a blessing? Is it a curse? So, Pastor Mike, we can look at prof the prophetic message there in the book of Haggai and see that the people, they're supposed to be doing the manual labor of rebuilding the temple. It's one of the things that people like to ignore in the Bible. People come to God and they say, God, make me a blessing. And his response is, okay, go do some manual labor. How would you like to walk for a thousand miles? Does that sound nice? Um, you want that blessing? You want the <laughs> thing? Here, go pick up a trowel and a sword. Um, that There's your answer. And a lot of times we don't like that, but that happens a lot in Scripture. This is one of those places the people there, they're kind of got a void that Amanda hinted at. And God is saying, look, 
go build the temple. They don't really have a lot of interest in that. They've invested elsewhere. But there do come times in life where people realize they've made a mistake. But I know it can be really difficult to have that change of direction in life once you have invested in something. Once you've already made this, the decision that, you know, I'm investing in this, even though this purse has had holes in it, it's had holes in it for generations, but we've been doing it, so we like it, we're going to keep doing it. Can you give some biblical advice on the difficult task of restructuring one's life once you have realized you've got to change your investments, you've got to change the trajectory, what you're doing now isn't working, you've got to change, you see that? Just some advice on that. Well, uh, probably the easiest and you know, short answer for this is to love your the Lord your God with all your 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 heart, with all your soul, your mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So, uh, by capitalizing on what Pastor Mena said, invest and pour yourself into your relationship with God, and ask: Is this a blessing to this relationship, or is it uh, is it something that's taking away and taking away the life of this relationship? Also, do the same thing with your relationship, not only with God, but with all those around you, uh, and then with yourself. You you have to invest in yourself with and and be a blessing to yourself in a healthy way, and not to harm yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to wrap up this program. We thank everyone for joining us. Again, we are Kingdom of the Logos. We're going to have some final thoughts now <laughs> as we wrap stuff up, and then we'll have a closing prayer. Um, yeah, final thoughts, things final we got to get off our chest before going off air. Pastor Amanda, <laughs> your final thoughts okay. for today? Well, I had made this observation earlier when you were asking for, for an observation. Um, my husband and I have been watching a lot of, like, apocalyptic movies, like The World's Ending, and so we finally got around to watching 2012 and it is quite a terrible movie. Actually, it most apocalyptic movie. movies are fairly bad. Um, kind of, what are they called? Like, like natural disaster movies. Most of them are pretty bad, but that one takes the cake. There is some good scenes about self-sacrifice and saving others and loving others, but it's 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 got like a five-minute redeeming quality in a two-hour movie. Yeah. Um, so it. It's but it, it's great. Like we're trying to make order out of chaos, even with the films we watch, and uh, it's it's not surprising how many of them fall short of giving us any kind of hope. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad movie. It has one of the it has the best death sequence I've seen in any movie, and that's terrible for a pastor to say that. So y'all forgive me. Um, but when I tell you it, maybe it makes sense. There's the the guy. He's a Russian guy. He's a fairly large dude, and. There's an ark, there's an apocalypse, and if you're not on the ark, the world is ending. You don't live unless you get on this ark. And it's literally a boat like Noah's ark. And this guy, he's not going to be able to make it. He's not able to, and the ark is closing up, and everybody that's on it's on it. And he wants his kids to live. So he takes and he runs and jumps off this cliff, this ledge, and he's got a kid in each arm. And he slings and throws the sons up there so that they're going to live, and he plummets to his death. Um, it's pretty intense. Would you say, is that the redeeming element yes, in that movie? Yes, that, that is one of the only redeeming um, elements. And there's lots of death, obviously, in the movie, but that's the only death that has purpose in it. And they try to make another character kind of die a hero's death. And you're like, yeah, no, you just did that because you wanted that character not to be in the final movie or the final scene. But that one was the only one that we were like, oh, okay. But no, yeah, other than that, 2012, bad movie. Bad movie. Pastor Mike, your final thoughts for today? 
Well, you know, I think uh, we're getting close to the end of this uh, shutdown and the pandemic, and people are going to start uh, coming together and fellowshipping more. And I, I'm going to make a prediction here. I believe that once people get out and begin begin to fellowship and gather together, it's going to it's going to be very difficult to get them to stay shut down. I think yeah. it's going to be. Uh, a tremendous amount of people out and about once it's lifted. That seems like an easy prediction, but I, I think it's going to bring its own um, opportunities and how we deal with those opportunities are extremely important. Um, we, we have to have those investments, and I think we need to ask those questions that Pastor Amanda uh, related to. Is this a blessing or is this a curse? Yeah, and to that point, that's where my final observation, my final thought is going to come in. I've been talking about the alligator in the yard. I think the coronavirus, it's an alligator in the yard. You can't ignore that. But it's not the only alligator in the yard. Absolutely um, not. My, my little cards for Nebuchadnezzar and King Necho II of Egypt are, have gone. But we, we have one problem, and a lot of times bad situations will be way worse because other things will crop up. We're seeing things like an increase in suicide rates. Here in Tennessee, we've had 157 um, deaths with the coronavirus and 199 suicides. You don't hear that talked about a lot on the news, but it's an alligator that's in the yard. Depression, anger, crime, domestic violence. And it's a big alligator. Oh, it's a big alligator. And I think as time goes on, we're going to see more of those alligators come up, which that doesn't mean you ignore any of them. I'm not saying that you say, well, we ignore the other. But victory in this moment is wisely persevering without losing sight of what matters most in life Mm -hmm. and without spiritually crippling ourselves. So that's my final observation. I think we're going to see more of that. um, But at the same time, God is on the throne. And God Amen. knows that all of us need his power. We're not yes. able to do it without him. All right. With that, uh, let's see. Pastor Mike, will you pray for us as we close? Absolutely. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being able to gather and for to be able to stream this program. And I pray for each and every viewer uh, that is watching and listening, Lord. I just pray that your spirit rests upon them and help not only them but us, everyone in this room, Pastor Amanda, Pastor Dylan, and myself, and all the viewers to make good decisions, to to be able to to look at all, every situation and, and realize this is an opportunity to glorify you, to reflect your image in this world. So, dear Lord, in the midst of a world where a lot of alligators try to come in and take life and destroy life, uh, use your people as as a means of grace and hope to this world. I thank you for them. And, Lord, most of all, we thank you for Jesus, uh, your Son, our Lord, and salvation. So, dear Lord, uh, help us. Help us draw us closer to you. And help us to invest in our relationship with you, uh, others, and most of all, in a healthy way with, with ourselves. And Lord, we give you praise in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 And on that note, God love you and have a blessed day.